Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today we discuss technical diagramming with systems architect Maya. Let's go. First question. You've spent 10 hours slogging over a sequence diagram that should have taken five. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board. And if I'm being honest, Miro would probably cut that time down by half. You know, with its AI tools and ready-to-go templates. Next, your diagrams become so bulky, it's more complex than the solar system. But all it takes is a few clicks and... It's Miro. I've used those technical shape packs way too many times. And stuff is just digestible on its infinite online canvas. Now, the final question. Everyone's brought in. But you have to make all these tasks all the way over in Jira. But wait, it's done. Is it... Miro. Easy with its two-way Jira sync. Easy to plot dependencies. Everyone always knows what's up. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people creating technical diagrams without workflow glitches. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome, 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 everybody, to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. I'm Jason Zone Fisher. We appreciate you tuning in and listening to another episode. Sports are coming back, and baseball is back this week. So we've got a very special guest joining us today, an MVP, a World Series champion, the one and only legendary slugger Ryan Howard from the Philadelphia Phillies will be in the house with us in just a few moments to preview the MLB season. I can't wait for that. Ralph, First and foremost, how are you doing there in Virginia? Another week of quarantine down. How how you hanging? Well, same as usual. We are holding it down. Everybody's doing well. Family's doing well. I mean, the virus is spiking up all over the country, as we see. But uh, I think, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll still hold it down here, and we'll still stay in stage one. My family is just maintaining. We're keeping the mom and dad in. And everybody's well thus far, and we're trying to keep it that way. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that, you know, staying safe, being smart, uh, wearing a mask when you go out, I hope, you know, doing all the right things that we need to do. Uh, how excited are you that sports are coming back? And, and when you think summer, baseball is one of the first things that people think. Are you excited that Major League Baseball is going to get started here in just a couple days? I don't know if I'm excited about baseball coming back or any sports coming back. I'm excited to see how they're going to do it. I'm excited about the players' reactions, the things around the sport itself. Just think about all the things that people have to do to get prepared for this. It's something they've never experienced before in life. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. And it'll be interesting to see how the players play because it's totally, it's totally different. There's no fans in the stands. You can pump in music. There's nobody booing at you, cheering for you. So I'm interested in that aspect of it, probably more than the sports just coming back. It will be interesting. It's going to be a much different feel. No fans in, in the stands. Uh, and I even heard that Major League Baseball is going to have, they're going to be pumping in crowd noise from MLB The Show, the video game. So that'll be interesting, too, to see a player maybe hit a home run or have a great play and then hear the crowd roar, but 
see an empty stadium. It's, it's going to be bizarre, at least for the first few weeks of this. It will be that. It will be that. Be, it, it's, it's different. We'll see what happens. But it is great that sports are coming back. I'm very excited. It's entertainment for all of us, something we get to watch and root for, a distraction, a way to bring people together. Uh, and I'm excited to chat with, with Ryan Howard in just a few moments a little bit more about that. But, but first, it's time for a regular segment, What's New, What's Good? And Ralph, I want to know what's new, what's good with you? What's something that you've heard or seen or you want to chat about? Well, I got some stories about Joel Embiid getting his driver's license so he can join NASCAR. Joel uh, Embiid you know, from the Sixers. From the Sixers, been not you know so many years in the United States, never had a driver's license. Wow! I'm like, what kind of car did he have? How they getting to him from the games? That sounds strange, right? Yeah. But just getting his driver's license, and he's interested in NASCAR. So. We'll see how that pans out. I don't know how it's going to work. I mean, only one I know that when, with, with an, an, even in NASCAR is Larry Nance. With not right. in NASCAR, he was in a, you know, the funny car, then the drag racing. And Big Larry, six foot ten, got in the car. I've seen him get in it before on video <laughs> and stuff like that. I know Larry pretty well played against him in college at, at, at Clemson. But think about a NASCAR. I mean, Jason, you would have a hard time fitting in a NASCAR. I've been in one once, and I did. You have to climb in through, climb the, in through the, window. the window. There's no door. It no is door. not easy for me, and I'm five foot ten to to get into yeah. a NASCAR. I don't know how Joel Embiid is going to fit in one. Uh, Ralph, what kind of car do you drive? I imagine you have a hard time fitting into into some cars too. Well, I used to obviously drive the SUV. I grew up, and my mother would put me in uh, conversion vans because they were big and said, "You're too big." <laughs> <laughs> to get into a car because if you have an accident, you know, you're not going to come out of it. You need mm. it all in the dashboard, et cetera. So my first car was a conversion van and then uh, usually an SUV. I have an older Mercedes right now because I had the seat made for me. Uh, mm. So I still have the car and I drive that mostly every day now. But uh, I really like SUVs, Chevy SUVs are my favorite. You, you were never drawn to NASCAR. You never had this desire to be a, a seven-footer in a NASCAR. <laughs> No, it's like, okay, I've been to NASCAR races. The noise is so crazy loud. But just watching cars go around the track, around, 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 it's like, I don't know why you do that. But yeah. it's a sport, <laughs> they say. They go on a lot of high speed. Again, I like the ingenuity of the car itself. I've seen some NASCARs. I've been to some shops. I mean, the things they do to a car is amazing. Mm. Uh, so you see why they're able to hold them to the ground and how they go so fast. And the technology is off the chart. So yeah. I'm interested in that part of it. But driving it, I couldn't get. I can't get the car. You know, I, I mean, I would like to drive it at that speed, but I can't fit. So guess what? I'll never do it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You know, Jerry Seinfeld has comedians in cars getting coffee. I feel like this could be a, a nice spinoff. Maybe, you know, Ralph and Joel in NASCARs, uh, like seven footers in NASCARs. In yeah. Talking shop. Well, it might be a bigger car. Maybe a bigger car. Okay, all right. We'll, we'll we'll look into this. We'll look into this. I'll I'll call some sponsors. We'll see if we can get all an right. SUV. Let's or something figure that out for you. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, you work. All right. That. Uh, what's new? What's good? I got for you. The NFL announced that they are banning jersey swaps. We're all familiar with that. At the end of most NFL games, you see a lot of the star players from opposing teams take off the jersey they just wore in the game and and swap them. You know, for their their man cave or their trophy room back at home. Well, the NFL is not allowing that this year because, of course, of COVID-19. 
It seems a little bizarre to me, though. I mean, if they're planning to play the games, why swapping jerseys would be the part that is dangerous here. I, I don't really understand the logic with that. Well, I think football is going to be hard to play, one, with this pandemic and what's going on with that. Two, who started this jersey swap stuff anyway? I mean, the, yeah. the NBA started that with players. I think it may have, I mean, from what I recognize, it started there. But I'm a, I mean, I don't know how you would get the jersey over those shoulder pads. I well, mean, without bending over and taking the shoulder pads. I, don't, I, don't, I mean, they do it every day, but I think that would be difficult. Did you ever swap jerseys or mementos with an opposing player any time during your career? Did you go against someone like, hey, I'd, I'd love to trade my jersey? That just didn't exist back then? It, it didn't exist. You would might uh, you swap shoes maybe or mm. give your shoes to charitable events that uh, another player may have supported. Yeah. So I remember doing that, but we, ne- we never did it on the court. We always did it back in the locker room. If someone needed something, then our, our equipment manager would get them to sign it, but no player would come up and say, hey, hey dude, give me a jersey or give me a shoe. Yeah, it wasn't you like that. You, you didn't want to do that because you were rivals. You wanted to beat everybody up and you wanted to fight, you know, yeah. uh, and be competitive. So we never did that personally, but the trainers and equipment managers would do that for sure. Got it. Yeah, it's definitely a, a different world today back when – when you played, rivalries seemed to uh, to, to be, I don't know, a, a lot stronger, a lot more bitter. You're not going to, at the end of the game, go up to a player and say, hey, let's trade jerseys. You know, uh, I'm sure there was mutual respect there, but it just seemed that like it felt a lot different than it does today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Real different. I mean, you can imagine uh, uh, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird going to swap jerseys at the end of the game. <laughs> that, that's not going to happen. I mean, they, <laughs> right. Respect each other, but I'm not going to give you my jersey. I want to kick your tail. Did any player ever come up to you asking maybe for an autograph, a photo, a jersey, your shoes, anything like that during your career? Well, shoes, after you get in the league, you establish yourself a little bit, especially the younger guys coming in, they would do it. But also guys that were older, right, that had a foundation mm-hmm. or on their way out the league, they would do it because they wanted something that they could take back and uh, auction off and make money for their charitable calls. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you could go back and, and if, let's say Jersey swaps were a thing, if there was one player that you played against, you said, Hey, it would be cool to have the Jersey, you know, hanging up in your office. Is there one player you wish actually would have done that with? It's ironic. I have no jerseys of my own in office or in my house or my parents' house. I have nobody else in jerseys either. So I'm not interested in the Jersey piece. <laughs> um, I would more want a picture of me and that person playing mm-hmm. against each other. Uh, so I do have some of those. I got some of me and Magic, me and Larry, me and Kareem, and, and the office. I, I like the picture. So it tells you, it tells more of a story than a jersey. Like, mm-hmm. what was happening here? What was you thinking about? So I have pictures, but not jerseys. Okay. All right. Well, you mentioned Kareem and Magic, some of those that, you know, stand out, uh, the great series you had against, mm-hmm. against the Lakers and the great memories. Well, uh, speaking of great memories, we're going to get into a lot of the great memories that our next guest had from his 13-year career with the Philadelphia Phillies. Ryan Howard, he's a three-time All-Star, a World Series champion in 2008 with Philadelphia. 
He came into the league and won the Rookie of the Year right away and then followed that up by winning the MVP in the National League in 2006 by hitting 58 home runs, which is still a Phillies record today. He's a two-time MLB home run champion, and he became the fastest player in Major League Baseball history to reach both 100 and 200 home runs. One of the greatest home run hitters and sluggers of his era I'm so excited to chat with Ryan Howard as baseball is coming back. And we're going to get to know who he is away from the game of baseball and everything that he's been doing since then as well. Absolutely. Great, great guy. Been knowing him for a while. Uh, personality, but baseball with his passion. And so I'm looking forward to this interview. All right. Well, we're going to call him up, get him on Zoom. Hopefully the connection is strong. You know, this is what we're dealing with here in 2020, but we're going to make it work. So without further ado, let's bring on the former MVP, Ryan Howard. We are so excited to have a very special guest in the house here today with us. Well, I guess not in our house. We're all doing this over Zoom in our respective states and cities but with baseball coming back there's no better person to have on the show than a world series champion and an mvp ryan howard ryan first and foremost how you doing man this is uh, a crazy year crazy time how are you and the family hey uh, i'm doing well doing very well we're trying to make the most of it uh just living each and every day trying to have fun and just just make the most of this uh unprecedented situation but i want to thank you guys for for having me on yeah, thank you for being on. I know it's a different world we live in, and um, we all are trying to figure it out and understand when this is going to stop and when we get back to normal. But uh, I don't know if it ever get back to like it used to be. So I appreciate you. You're on and appreciate your time. That is true. I don't know if it'll ever get back to how it once was, but uh, we'll, we're taking it one day at a time. And one thing that's great is that sports are starting to come back. And I know that we're really excited that baseball is kicking things off this week. And uh, we can't wait to talk with you a little bit more about your thoughts on that, Ryan. But first, I want to talk a little bit more about your career and how you got here. Uh, and as I was doing some research and watching a lot of videos, you constantly say, hey, I'm just a laid back cat from St. Louis trying to play ball. That is like you are born and raised in St. Louis, a laid back guy. That is for sure. Ralph, you're a pretty laid back guy yourself. When you think about professional sports and athletics, you often think of intensity and like this Mamba mentality. But both of you ex excelled at your respective sports with a pretty laid back demeanor. Why do you think that was important to your success? I think in the same in the same breath, it's uh, once you get on the field, something else just takes over. There is that that intensity. There is that kind of mama mentality, if you will. Um, it's you know once you once you step in between the lines, um, something else just kind of takes over. You have to have that intensity. You have to have that drive, that determination. Just have a very very tough opportunity trying to make it through because you're you're one of you know few hundred guys trying to compete for one of 25 spots on a roster. So you, you, you have to have something inside that kind of takes over um, in that aspect. But when you leave, you know, you can, you can be normal. And it's almost like that Clark Kent Superman type situation when you're, you know, walking around the street, you, you can be Clark Kent, but when it's time to get in the game, you gotta, gotta turn it up a notch. 
Yeah, I mean, I understand it being from a small, small, small hometown, population 50,000 people. But uh, take me through the process, because I know kind of where I come from and I know kind of the city you came from a little bit. But from a young man, you know, developing your athletic skills, baseball, football, basketball, take me through the process of how you got from there to that mentality. I know how I got there because I understand when I step on the court, it's a whole different mentality. I mean, you want to kill somebody. You want to, you want to compete. You, you know, it's a, the lion comes out, right? But, you know, some people don't have that mentality where they can turn it off and then turn it on. It's either on all the time or off and they can't never turn it on. So how'd you get from a young man to the man you are today in the sports world? My dad was the, was the fiery one. Hey, my mom was the more kind of even keeled, laid back one. So it was definitely when it came to doing uh, the athletics, you could always, I could always feel that fire inside from when I watched my dad, uh, just with whatever it was he was doing, there was a different intensity to it. And that was something that kind of just burned within me. And then when I was off the field, I was just more like my mom where everything was kind of calm. But uh, growing up, I mean, we played everything. I played baseball, basketball, um, soccer, football in high school. So for me, it was really about just going out and just having fun and just being able to run around and, and get dirty and not get in trouble for it. So uh, just really try to play as many sports as I possibly could. And I think that's one of the things that kind of changed in today's dynamics with kids is these kids end up playing one sport and just focusing on one sport at a time where I think you get so much more knowledge and you gain so much more from playing different sports. I, I took the physicality of football and tried to put it in basketball because I was, you know, six two, six three, and I had to guard guys that were six eight, six nine. So I used to say, hey, I'm in the forest. I got to chop these trees down, down low. You know, you know, I think you can take and learn so many different things from other elements of sports and bring them into your other sports. Well, when, Ryan, did you realize that baseball was your sport, that you were better than the rest and this is something that you might be able to do as a career? Is there is there a moment or a memory or an at-bat or a game or even maybe a conversation you had with, uh, with a coach that this is something you should focus on? I think my parents kind of saw it, I guess, when I was little. My mom always told me, like, that I would hit the ball further than the other kids did. And I never really thought about it. And then as I got a little bit older, like uh, 10, 11, 12, you know, like other parents were kind of like, oh, like he's he's pretty good and, and this and that. And again, I never really thought about it like that. And then um, one day my dad told me, he's like, hey, you know, if you want to be uh, a major league baseball player or whatnot, then that starts now. And that was at like 14, 15 years old uh, to where it's like, you have to carry yourself as such and think of yourself as a target and you know 15 year old kid you don't you don't really necessarily know what that means until you know now hindsight to where i am now being 40 years old it's like okay i get it you know and it's the same kind of conversation i have with with my son over there and that's what i tell kids today like hey if you want to play basketball you want to play football or baseball whatever your sport might be you know your major leagues your nba your nfl is right now no matter how old you are you whatever league, whether it's Pop Warner, whether it's AAU, this is your NBA, this is your NFL. And to see yourself there right now at 9, 10, 11 years old, so that when you get there and then you dominate at that, at that high level, you get to the NBA and, or, the, or the MLB or whatnot, and you dominate and people ask you, are you surprised at what you're doing? You can say, no, I've been doing this since I was 12 years old. I've been in you know, the big leagues or the NBA or 
or in uh, uh, NFL since I was 12 years old from the mindset. Uh, ironically, uh, you guys, baseball was my first love. It wasn't basketball. It was my first love. I pitched through sidearm. I was pretty good. But every year I was growing, you know, two or three inches. So my sidearm kind of stopped curving and it would hit the right-handed batters, right? So they said, well, why don't you move to first base? Then I moved to first base and first base was uh, where I would catch the ball with my other hand and not my, my not my gloved hand. And my mother would say, boy, you're going to break your hand. They moved me to outfield was too much running, just kind of, and there was no action. So uh, I kept growing and growing and growing. But the transition, I'm sure you had a little basketball in you, uh, that transition to, to baseball. So um, you said your dad may have mentioned to you played baseball. So were you a better basketball player or baseball player at a young age? So it's funny that you say that because basketball was my first love. And, and then baseball was the one with that just, hey, that took me to the next level. Um, and then I realized in basketball, because back before point guards became 6'9", um, <laughs> and I had to guard guys because I was like a four or five down low having to oh, guard yeah. guys that were six, seven post, post guys. And then once the, once the, the, the post guys started learning how to dribble and shoot, I was like, yeah, basketball's probably not going to work out. <laughs> no, no, that would work. So – yeah, so it was one of those things where, yeah, basketball was my first love, and I played. I always had a love for baseball, but always wanted to play basketball first. And then uh, once I got to high school, you know, everybody kind of looked at it as, oh, you know, baseball, you'll probably be able to go further. And then, you know, made the deal with my parents to where they told my, my brother and I that, hey, if you get uh, a scholarship to school, we'll get you a car. So luckily I was able to get a baseball scholarship, um, go off to school, and then my brother and my twin brother kept wound up coming down to school with me because uh, he was he was probably more suited to play basketball than I was. He was a little bit lengthier than I was, so uh, my parents had him come down and uh, and come come to school with me. So we had to wind up sharing a car. <laughs> so, uh, go. So, go. It all, so it all worked out. Uh, what car? What car did you get? Man, we had we had a 1992 Mazda Protege. We used to call it the Pro. And my brother and I were both like over six foot, like six two, six three, whatnot. So you got these two tall dudes just in this little compact uh, <laughs> manual shift car, but we made the most of it. Though. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, from protege to pro, you're drafted by the Phillies in the fifth round in the 2001 draft. And, you know, you were in the minor leagues and kind of uh, made your way up very quickly uh, and in 2004, you're called up for the first time, but the Phillies have a huge free agent signee. I'm originally from Cleveland, so I grew up a huge Jim Tomey fan, and he went to the Phillies, and he's a first baseman as well. And obviously, how much of your success that next year came just because of the right time, right place, the right opportunity. Unfortunately for Jim Tomey, he suffered an injury, gave you a chance to get some looks, get some at-bats, and then, you know, the, the rest is history. Yeah, I mean, I'll take you back a little bit even further. When they mm -hmm. signed him, they signed him back in 2002. I was drafted in 01. So 02 was my first full season. So I was going into my first spring training, minor league spring training, and getting ready for my first full minor league year. And I'd spoken to my agent at the time, and he said, yeah, the Phillies are looking at signing Jim Tomey. I don't think it's going to happen, blah, blah, blah. And so then they wind up signing him. So, like, the fan of me, because I used to watch Tomey. He was with, Indian, with the Indians and all the yeah. damage that lineup did with Albert Bell and 
uh, Manny and all those guys over there. And I was like, oh, man, that's so cool. Like, they signed Jim Tony. And then the player in me was like, damn, they just signed Jim Tony. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, so it was one of those situations where I had, a, where I had to um, – I knew I wasn't going to get rushed through the minor leagues because they just signed him to, you know, a six-year deal. So I knew it was one of those things to where, okay, I can kind of take my time and put my focus into making it to the big leagues, whether it was with the Phillies or with a different team, because that was my mindset and that was my goal. Just because they signed Tome, um, it wasn't going to keep me from getting to the big leagues. So it was either going to be a Phillies uniform or, or a different uniform. But um, had the opportunity to have some, some spring trainings uh, some spring training games and, and kind of, as we say, caddy, caddy for Tone, uh, where I would come in and, and pick him up later in the games. But, you know, he gave me some great advice. And uh, one of the best people, man, uh, gave me gave me advice. And I'm a kid that's, you know, trying to come after his job. We're fighting for the same job. You know, so for him to be able to do that, um, you know, I think that speaks volumes, number one, about his character. But, you know, as I was saying, when you're coming through, um, when you're coming through the minor leagues and you're trying to get to the big leagues, it's one of those things to where you don't know when you're going to get your opportunity. And, you know, and unfortunately, you know, it took Tom having an injury a couple of times and me getting the opportunity to go up there. And I was just trying to take advantage of my situation to where, Hey, this might be my only shot. So I've got to make the most of it. And luckily I did. Fortunately, wound up winning rookie of the year. And I told myself, I was like, well, something's got to happen because triple A the very next season. So, uh, luckily, things just kind of worked out. How did you transition? I'm curious about how did you transition from when you knew he got traded, right? And then you kind of your wind kind of was out of your cell a little bit, but you found something inside of you to say, let me work out. Let me do extra stuff. Let me be ready. And then when the opportunity knocked, you was ready. What did you do to make yourself you know, mentally tough in that situation? Yeah, that's a great question. That actually goes back to my sophomore year of high school where I was it was myself and another sophomore that were going out for the varsity baseball team. And we were practicing with the varsity baseball team and they sent me back down to the sophomore team. Oh. And the sophomore coach that year who also wound up being my, my uh, summer ball coach, you know, he pulled me to the side and he said, Hey, look, man, I know you're upset, but you got two choices. You can either sing or shoot a couple of woods and be mad and talk and do all that kind of stuff. Or, you can put all your energy and focus in on what you need to do here so you can get back up there. And when he told me that, I said, you know what, you're right. And so I just put my energy into what I needed to do, got back up on the varsity team and called me back up. My first game back up there, uh, hit two home runs, went like four for four. With I just instantly went back to that moment to where it's like, all right, well, I can be like, well, Jim Tomey's here. I'll never – I'll never make it because he's, you know, first battle hall thinker or put all my energy into focusing on getting to the big leagues, whether that's with the Phillies or where it's somewhere else. So somebody at a young age was able to teach you that, that skill set, which is amazing to the young kids out there that may be listening to uh, and, and understanding and, and trying to model uh, your career as far as, you know, mentality wise, because the athletics comes easy when you have the athletic ability, but the mentality and the toughness comes from the mindset. So, we find that in, in everything. I, I didn't play basketball at a young age. I got discouraged about basketball because we can only score 16 points on eight-foot baskets. I had 16 points in the first five minutes of the game, and it just wasn't <laughs> fun for me. So it was crazy. So I had to get mentally tough. And like that's why I went to baseball because it was out the pitcher with more action. So 
I understand that mental toughness. That's that's that mama mentality we talk about all the time that, you know, came from a Kobe Bryant that kind of made it known, but we all had that somewhere in our, our lifetime. Well, fortunately for, for you and, and for Jim Tomey, it worked out for both of you, a Hall of Fame career. And uh, obviously, you made the most of your opportunities, uh, winning rookie of the year in 2005. And then 2006 was a pretty magical season. You winning the MVP award. Not many people in the history of baseball have ever done that. Only four ever have gone from their rookie season and then followed it up with an MVP season. Um, when you're playing, you probably don't have a lot of time to reflect. But now when you look back at your career and you think back on that 2006 MVP season, I mean, you made your first all-star game. You won the home run derby. You finished the season batting 313 with 58 homers, 149 RBIs. I mean, you were just setting records left and right. When you were doing all of these things, did you realize how special this was? Or is it not till years later that you look back and, and you kind of amaze yourself at what you were able to accomplish so quickly? Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's one of those things that when you're in it, um, again, I think it goes back to that mentality of like I was saying, when you're to where it's like you're in your big leagues right then and there, so where you, know, you want to dominate and, and do what you're doing. You don't really recognize what you did until after you step out and are able to look back and say like, Wow, that was that was a lot. That was a lot of home runs because I think the mindset as I was in it when I was doing it, it was like, okay, this is I'm I'm setting the bar for myself and I'm setting a very high bar to where it's like I feel like I still have more that I can try and go do. And if it's like your first full season in big leagues, you're dropping off 58 home runs. You know, to me, I'm like, hey, I feel like there's 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 more I can try to. You know, I was always constantly trying to push my bar higher and higher and higher. So um, that was that was always the mindset. But then once, you know, being out of the game now and kind of looking back at it, it was it was like, man, you know, I was able to do some some crazy stuff. Yeah. Uh, playing the game. But your intensity while you're in it, you're just, OK, I got I got more. I want more. And, and I think like with Ralph, Ralph would know, it's like you just dig, 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 dig and see what's inside and you just want to continue pull out and pull out and pull out and just try to push yourself to the, to the next level. Well, that mentality is that still that mama mentality we talked about earlier, but I want to, so with me going to the gym, with I go to the gym at 12 o'clock at night, you know, just because I couldn't sleep. So you got to that level, but tell me about the, the, the training for that. I mean, yeah, you got to the majors, yeah, you did all the stuff in that career, but you, you did amazing things in your second, third, third season, but you still wanted more. So how'd you go get more? Did you eat well? Did you sleep well? What did you do lifestyle-wise that made sure you stayed at that level? Because you get there, you don't want to come back down. You you want that all the time. So you did something there, but nobody sees it behind the scenes, right? Nobody sees all the sweat you put in. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's totally, totally. It's, uh, you know, it's about the sacrifices and everything that you make yeah. and what you put in. Um, you know, again, that was just the mentality. Like you say, you have to have that mentality. Right. People can have talent, but if you don't have the mentality, it, it, it can be a waste. And it was one of those things, I think, for me, it was always even going back to when I was younger, you know, 14, 15 years old to where 16 years old when I could drive and my friends were going to hang out. And like, oh, right, we're going to go over here and go hang out. I say, all right, hey, I'll catch up with y'all later. I'm about to go get this workout in or I'm about to go get these swings in and, you know, prioritizing what it was that I wanted to do, because there was plenty of time for me to go hang out with my friends. But I wanted to make sure that I got the work in that I needed to get in 
first and then go hang out with them. So that was always easy for me once I got to like the big leagues and whatnot, being able to prioritize that type of stuff to where it's like, hey, all right, I know in January, I'm going to start, I'm really going to lock it in. I, w- I would always start my workouts like right after Thanksgiving because I didn't necessarily want to start them before and then have to eat, you know, do right. Thanksgiving and have, it all go, <laughs> have it all go down. And so I knew like, you know, November 26th or that, or that first Monday or whatever after um, Thanksgiving was when, boom, all right, I start my workouts. You know, I could still do a couple trips here and there. But then when January hit, it was boom, full-blown lock it in. I'm not going anywhere. Just 100% because spring training was right around the corner in February. Yes, it's a tough, tough uh, schedule. I mean, baseball is long and the season is great. But uh, the mentality is even tougher to, ma- to manage that, you know, 162-plus game or whatever it may be. But uh, definitely seeing the inside of it is amazing to see someone that had that same mentality that and the motivation and drive, which – People don't really understand that. It's, it's you sweat. It's, it's tears. It's daily away from your family. It's just it's just. But it's what we love, right? It's what we love to do. Right. And Ryan, you talk about your your mental toughness that you that it takes to succeed at the level that you did in Major League Baseball. I'm curious. In 2005, you win the Rookie of the Year. 2006 MVP. 2008, you win the World Series. You have three home runs in the series and help Philadelphia win their first World Series since 1980. How do you keep the motivation after that? After starting your career so strong, so hot, those first four years, all the accolades, winning a ring, how do you keep that drive and that hunger alive beyond that? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, after after doing something like that, everybody's just kind of cash it in, I guess. Yeah. Uh, or you could cash it in and be like, hey, great career, guys. I'll see you later. <laughs> um, but no, I think it was always that what was in me. Just again, it was always like one and more. You know, it was 58 home runs. It's like, okay, I want to try to hit 60 or 62 or 60, you know, or 70 or whatever. So it's, you know, obviously having, you know, one championship, you know, you're, you're, you never, never know uh, when you're, when you're going to win. So, you you know, you always cherish the ones that you get. But, you know, when you get that first one, especially in, in that early of your career, um, you're like, all right, man, like I'm trying to get six or seven of these bad boys and try to get as many as I can before I get out of here. So um, that was always the drive. That was always the mentality. Um, and then fortunately for me, I was on some teams, some really good teams. Um, to be able to have those opportunities. And, you know, unfortunately, we came out with one. We felt like we could have had, you know, two or three, but you always cherish the ones that you do get. A couple of questions. So, so, you know, I want to, I hit, uh, you know, softball home runs, you know, little league home runs, whatever, but major league home runs, when somebody's throwing 80, 90 miles an hour and you know when you walk to the plate, they fear you. You, you have their mentality. Tell me, what's it feel like to hit a home run and walk into a plate that you know you're that confident to hit that 58th home run a year and still want one? But what does that feel like to the people that are listening to this to hit a home run and and and, and the World Series? I mean, to, to win a game. What's that feel like? Yeah, so to hit a home run is always something. It's always great. Um, you know, you're always walking up. You feel confident. You feel good in what you're, what you're doing. You understand your approach. But, I mean, everything gets magnified in the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> everything. Um, so, I mean, to do it in a World Series, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that as a kid, you know, when you're when you're hitting hitting rocks or you're playing baseball or, or whatnot, any kind of ball, um, these are the kind of things that you always dream of, right? Oh, it's 3-2, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded, two outs, full yeah. count, that, that whole thing. Um, 
to do it in a World Series is obviously that's the pinnacle because this is what you play for. You play to try to win championships. And to be able to get on the main stage where you're one of two teams where the entire world is watching, um, being able to hit home runs and, and help your team win a championship, man, it's, besides kids being born, it's, <laughs> it's uh, the best, you know, it's, it's the best feeling because from an athlete standpoint, this is what you, you strive for. Whatever the, the, the event is or the sport is, you strive to, to, to be on the mountaintop of your sport. And so to be able to perform and do stuff like that at that level, man, there's nothing else like it. Yeah, nothing like it. Nothing like it. Well, so many incredible highlights in your career, Ryan. I'm, is there one at-bat or moment from your career that stands out above the rest when you look back at it? Yeah, there's, there's, there are definitely a couple. I uh, would have to say um, my first big league hit, uh, along with my first big league home run, um, first big league hit in Atlanta, which was was pretty funny. Um, wound up being a base hit up the middle. Jason Michaels tried to score from second. And Andrew Jones, with one of his, you know, 40 gold gloves that I'm sure he won over the course of his career, came up and threw Andrew Jones out. And I remember watching it on Sports there to where, you know, they called the play. There's a base hit up the middle. Andrew Jones comes in. Throws Jason Michaels out at home plate, and then they're like, "Oh, by the way, that was Ryan Howard's first major league hit." Always thought that was pretty funny. And then uh, first home run in New York um, was was big. Actually, Mike Cameron scared me um, in New York, and and I hit it. I came in in a pinch hit situation and hit it, and I had hit you know two home runs in the minor league, so I knew what it felt like, and I was like, "Oh, I felt like I got that." And as I was watching, I was watching Mike Cameron run. And and I was like, wait, did I not get it? Jimmy was leading off or hitting behind me. I was like, man, like I thought he was gonna catch that. He's like, no, nah, man, that ball was way out of there. So uh, it was it was one of those special moments for me because I I made it. I know I made it. So um, you know, being there in the big leagues, those are a couple couple big moments for me. So you mentioned New York. So the ballpark. What's what's your favorite? I mean, a home is always a favorite place. But I mean, I can only imagine playing in Yankee Stadium, Dodger Stadium. Or the, or the ones you hear about when you played in Boston Garden, you know, where we walk up to the elevator in the back, we have rats and roaches going up to the elevator with us, but the floor was terrible, but it looked good on television. But <laughs> what's your favorite place to play other than being at home? Yeah. Um, I mean, I was, yeah, I always did damage in Atlanta and uh, in, in New York, but you know, I, I think looking at it, it's the, the nostalgia of some of the old ballparks. I never got to play in the old Yankee stadium. But, you know, even in the new Yankee Stadium, you could still feel some of that mystique that was brought over from the old ballpark. Um, but Wrigley Field, Fenway Park, um, just being able to play in the same place as some of the, the all-time greats ever play and grace, you know, grace the field with, uh, with their play. Uh, being able to, to say, hey, I played in some of these places where these guys got an opportunity to play. Uh, it's just always something about the mystique and the aura of those, of those types of uh, ballparks. What um, you mentioned your first big league hit, a lot of your firsts in your career. Was there like a, a welcome to the big leagues moment where you just really had to pinch yourself? You're like, oh, I'm here. I'm I'm I've made it. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. So so here was my moment and it was actually in spring training and I'm playing first base and my idol was Ken Griffey Jr. growing up and he was one of them. And so he's on the Reds. We're playing the Reds in spring training. Boom, he gets on. You know, I think he walked or got a base hit or whatever. And he's standing next to my first base. And, like, uh, like I'm on the inside. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, Ken Griffey Jr., oh, my gosh. Like, he's standing next to me. And so Ken goes, what's up, big man? 
And then I'm thinking on the inside, I'm like, oh my God, he just so much. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, you got like you got to play cool, you got to play cool. <laughs> like, man, I'm just I'm chilling, man. What's up with you? You know. And then that was my moment to where I was like, I'm here. You know, that was my my big league moment where I'm like, I arrived because this is a guy that I grew up idolizing and watching, and now I'm standing next to him playing against him on the same field. So that was kind of my aha moment. My okay, yeah, you're 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 here. So you, you can get and play at this level. Right. Ralph, you ever have a moment like that when you first joined, joined the NBA? Uh, I mean, you have aha moments. Uh, I mean, you always look at playing in the garden, playing in New York, playing, you know, in L.A. But I think the first time going to the Lakers and playing on the court against Kareem and Magic and seeing Jack Nicholson and everybody sitting on the sidelines, uh, you're like, oh, OK, I see this on TV, but now it's real. So you better only take a quick look because the way they were running, they're going to beat you up now the court. So you miss a couple of plays, the coach takes you out. And then all of a sudden you say, look, you know, you got to start playing. You got to stop looking in the stands because there's everybody out there. And then when you go back the next time, you're like, I can't look in the stands. I got to focus because I'm going to get my tail kicked if I don't. But that was my biggest aha moment in the NBA because of the Lakers and their mystique and their and people in their crowds. So I understand that. King Griffey Jr. I'm playing against Kareem, you know, Magic. They have won championships already. Uh, they were the team to beat. And I, actually, I believe the first couple of years in my, my career, we beat them a couple of times yeah, at home for sure. But then when I got a Kim Olajuwon, we started to kill them a little bit. So that would be more special. Mm-hmm. Well, what's funny, I have no doubt that there are uh, now probably some veterans, but young guys who came into major leagues who they're – aha, I made it moment was when they made it to first base and yeah. Ryan Howard said what's up to them. Uh, and they look back at like, oh man, he's, I got to play cool around Ryan Howard. You know, it's, it's a, a cool thing, the way that that works. You're just paying it forward. Um, Ryan, who was the toughest pitcher that you ever faced in your career? That's a tough question, man. Um, I will probably say Scherzer. I mean, you you got a lot of the usual suspects. I, I mean, Scherzer is extremely tough. Um, this, you know, how he hyped the ball. The ball kind of explodes out of his hands, and it's just his mentality. Again, um, he's a guy that he's going to attack you, and then he can just he can set up different pitches. So I, I probably have to lean on Scherzer. Well, he's he's still doing it, and he's still haunting uh, batters uh, today. Last summer, almost exactly a year ago, you were honored by the Philadelphia Phillies. You're brought back. So many former teammates and coaches were there to pay their respects to you and your great career, 13 seasons in Philadelphia. What did that day mean to you? What what was that like? Describe for someone who might have seen that or who, you know, was a big fan of yours. What did that mean to you? Yeah, it was... Great. It was great, um, you know, to, to go back and, and, and be recognized uh, by the fans and, uh, you know, see see a bunch of familiar faces. It's always fun to be able to go back and see see people and just, you know, you just kind of pick up right where you left off. You know, it just doesn't stop. Uh, you know, friends all over there in the organization and whatnot. And so when I see them, it's like it never, it never stops. But it's always good, um, you know, coming back to Philly. Uh, my wife's family is from Philly. So, you know, we, we, we get back up um, a few times a year and then, you know, try to swing over to the ballpark, go check out some stuff and some games and whatnot. So it's always it's always fun. But, you know, to be able to kind of have those moments and, and 
relive some of those, those times with fans and whatnot. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. I'm going to shift gears a second just on that. You know, when you go back to the arena, right? You go back to where you played and where you remember and see some old faces. It's always fun to do. When I go back to Houston, although we don't play in the arena that I played in, it's now Joel Osteen's church. But shifting gears, as you look at baseball today, right? It's, it's a little bit different. Um, the game has changed somewhat, I'm sure. Like basketball has changed from a post-up to a more three-point shot. But today's climate and this pandemic that we're dealing with, it's just kind of crazy. If you were a player, how would you be feeling today and going back and playing with no fans and you hitting home runs like you used to hit and you hit a crack of the bat, but there's no fans there? How do you, how do you think players are going to react to that? You know, it's, it's, it's going to be a very interesting dynamic um, to see because I was just talking to someone about this the other day. You're going to hear everything. It's going to be uh, one of those things where – I, I'm, I'm not sure because you, you, you feed off of the crowd. You feed off um, the energy of, of having that home field advantage where Philadelphia can be a tough place to play for, for teams that come in. You know, when the team is going well and, you know, you're, you're – let's just, you know, you get that hit, right, or uh, the place just erupts. And then, you know, they're getting on the other – they're getting on the other team. They're getting in the other team's head. And, and now it's kind of like it's a neutral – situation to where you don't have that that home field or that 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 advantage anymore so um i think it's going to be interesting i think it's going to be a little awkward for guys at first but i think eventually they'll they'll wind up getting used to it and uh back to normal where you can have some fans back in the stands and, and being able to uh to do it but i mean they don't they don't call it the show for a reason you know it's it's you're, you're out there you're playing but you're you're also you're putting on a show you got to right. A little flair, a little swag out there, and you're you're doing that um, a little bit for the fans, but um, you know, you're, yeah, you're you're trying to put on a show. We're used to a 162 game season. This year, we're just you know, baseball is fitting it in 60 games total. Some guys are slow starters. Some teams are slow starters. There's really no time for that this year. This is going to be unlike anything we've ever seen before. Are there some players or some teams you expect that will really uh, be hurt by that and some that might take advantage of that situation? Uh, any, any insight as to who we should look for to have a great 60-game season? Yeah, I think it's going to be very, very interesting because, as you mentioned, like some players get out to slow starts uh, and some players get out to very, very fast starts. I mean, um, it, 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 it's going to be very interesting because it's literally a sprint. And you don't have time to uh, try to figure it out. You, you, you're basically hitting the ground running. And I also think the other element is you know, the guys that have opted out to not play as well um, this season. I think with, with Ryan Zimmerman and, and David Price and I think Buster Posey opted out, Martakis, uh, Ian Desmond. Um, you know, how is that going to really impact their teams? you know, as they, as they try to go. So do you have, it, it becomes that next man up mentality uh, for the guys that are out there. But no, I think, I think the White Sox would be a team, um, a, a good surprise team um, that can get out to a pretty good start. Minnesota after getting out of the central as well. The usual suspects, I think the Dodgers will probably be a team that'll be there. The Yankees, um, the Red Sox will probably, you know, be, be right there potentially as well. So uh, I think it's going to be, and you can't overlook Washington. I think those teams will be, you know, some of those teams to watch kind of coming out in a quick 60-game sprint to the uh, to the finish. 
a 60 game sprint. It's yeah. a lot of games. It's a lot of games. 82 <laughs> basketball, 60 game sprint. He called that a sprint. Okay, great. So, so doing that sprint, I'm trying to even understand like basketball coming back, baseball's coming back. But I mean, so how does it feel? We talked about this a second ago. I want to get down and dirty with it a little bit as far as get stepping up the bat. There's no fans in the stands cheering for you at home. Like Ryan Howard's coming up the bat and the fans cheer for you. Take me through your emotions. You said it's going to take a couple of weeks for fans to, or players to get used to that. How would you get used to that? How would you just adjust to that? I mean, no, you got a mental toughness inside of you that makes sense. But how do you think some of the other players in your team would, would fare with that? That's got to be strange because basketball, you can hear the squeaking of the shoes, the bounce of the ball, and a lot of SHIT talking, right? Everybody's going to talk <laughs> noise. But the baseballs talk noise as well. Right. I'm sure they do. Like you know, pitch, pitch to me, right? What what happens when you step up the bat? It's yeah, it's it's different. I mean, I'm I'm wondering if they may try to pump in some fake crowd noise. I know with soccer, um, in Europe, they've they've been pumping in crowd noise and, and trying to kind of fill the void in there. But there's not a whole lot of trash talk in baseball. There's there's a little bit of like you know banter and trying to kind of get in guys' heads or, or this or that or whatever. Um, because, you know, you got that pitcher out there that can throw about 96, 97. So you got to be <laughs> be careful at times. But, um, but you know, but, hey, we got pitchers that would do the same thing, too. So, um, but I, I think once you kind of get into it, um, it's just going to become second nature. I think once they kind of get over that initial hump of, like, okay, this is weird, then it's just going to kind of, you know, kind of go into that cruise control of understanding, okay, this is what our dynamic is. So, you know, this is what we have to have to work with. And I think guys will just kind of slide in and just uh, make the best of the situation. Yeah, no choice. That's good. It's going to look a lot different, feel a lot different. Obviously, this global pandemic has affected all of our lives uh, and really challenged all of us. I think the only people that might be happy with it are maybe the Houston Astros. Because when spring training started, this was going to be the season of – F the Astros and what happened with them and the cheating scandal. We're not really talking about that right now. What do you think it's going to be like when the Astros play games? I mean, there won't be fans in the stands to boo them, which it felt like that was going to be the vibe when they were on the road this season. It was going to fans were going to let them hear it. Um, what do you think it's going to be like for the Houston Astros? Because we've kind of moved past the cheating scandal because there's been so much bigger news happening. Yeah, I think I think that once you get fans in the stands, I think they'll they'll let them know their displeasure. Um, mm-hmm. Whether that's a year from now, two years from now, I think they'll let them know that. Um, I think baseball-wise, playing, um, you know, the, the the teams that may have vendettas or whatnot. So I, I mean, yes, luckily for them, they haven't really had to deal with the wrath this year. Um, and it's just been interesting because also, you know, you're looking at, uh, you know, the, the, the GMs and, and the managers that have all been fired and they've been barred right. for a year. And it's kind of like, this oh, year. okay, I'm not really missing. I'm not really missing anything. So, you know, yeah. how are you, you know, you're, 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 to an extent, um, it's, it's almost like you're not really being punished. But, um, you know, I, I know it's tough for those guys to not really be around the game. and um, and, and, and be in the in, in the meetings and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, for them, hopefully it's, it's, it's one of those things to where, you know, hey, they feel like this thing just speeds on by. But I think for the Astros, I think teams and, and, and people are still going to let them know. I mean, you look at uh, Trevor Bauer. I think he threw a bullpen the other day with the 
the Astros cheated shirt or, or, or the Astros are, are cheaters or well, I forget what was on it. I think the fans will, will have their opportunity whenever they get back into the, uh, to the team. All right. So you think that they won't forget, you know, that it'll still, it'll still be there when fans come back. So, so going into it. So we, a lot of baseball, a lot of the fans, a lot of pandemic career, mama mentality, all that's very special in the scheme of what we do as athletes and people. We got a short couple of minutes here that uh, I really want to focus in on Ron Howard, the dad, the husband, the man. Uh, we know we've done something together with 76 Capital, but, but to, if people have to look at you when you look back at who you want to be and your legacy, what, what does that look like? What do you do? How, you, you, I'm sure you may impact on the field and off the field. But give me a description of how you want people to view Ryan Howard, the person, because they see the athlete. They don't know us as the person. They know us as athlete. I'm seven foot four. You must have played basketball, right? You must have played football, baseball or something. So they see that, but they don't understand how you got there. But who is the man? Who is who are you? If I looked at I mean, I know who you are, but if you had to have, tell people, what would you want them to see you as and who, what you do today? I would just want people to just see me as myself in the, in the terms of, you know, kind of like we started at the top of the show. I'm just a laid back guy from St. Louis. Um, you know, I'm a very live, let live kind of person and just um, just always had a, a helpful mentality of just wanting to see others succeed as well. Um, you know, I've been able to kind of live out my dreams and um, wanting to try to build, you know, just continually build people up and in hopes that they can try to live their dreams and do what it is that they want to accomplish in life. And, um, really, just uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's really just about just being a good, uh, just being a good individual. You know, kind of doing on to others as you want them to do on to you. And um, that's always kind of been the mantra of of what it is I've always looked to try to do. Well, I'm still, I'm sure the work's still in progress, right? You know, the life is not over yet, so you got a lot of life to live and kids to raise and business thing to do. So I tell people all the time, the best is yet to come. You know, especially with the mentality we have, we, we've just begun to, to, to hit the sweet spot. I mean, our sports life has been well documented as well. But now now the best part is to get ready to happen. So I know the thing that you're interested in and I appreciate what you do. But, uh, you know, having that mentality and understanding it, it's, it's tough for people to understand when you can put yourself in a zone and it's hard to get out of. I don't care if you eating breakfast it's hard to get out of that zone. And I'm sure the wife understands when you get in that zone, you're like, don't don't bother him. You know, leave leave right. dad alone, right? right? That's the way it goes. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> well, Ryan, how has your your mindset from playing professional sports at the highest level, have you been able to translate that into this next phase of your career with uh, all of the investments that you're doing, uh, uh, your broadcasting career? Uh, really, you've started uh, finding so much success off the field, and I'm just curious how your success on the field has translated to that. Yeah, I think it's the same thing. It's that same mentality. You know what you know, in a sense. And it's just kind of transferring those same attributes of what it took uh, to make the accomplishments and, and get to where it was on, on the field and taking that now off the field, kind of into the business world and other aspects of life. Um, because there's so many different parallels to, you know, from sports to business and just sports and life in general. So, uh, I think it's just taking a lot of those same attributes and just 
transferring those things over. Well, in addition to all these things that you're doing, you're also an author. You and your wife have written six children's books, the Little Rhino series. I've got a two-year-old daughter. Uh, what made you want to get into this? Uh, because I got to pick up one of these books for her. Oh, man. No, thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, my, my wife was a second grade school teacher. And, you know, it's spoken about like how education for both of us growing up was like the epitome. It was first and foremost, like for my parents, it was if the books weren't right, like you couldn't go to practice or you couldn't go to the games and all that kind of stuff. So that was first and foremost from the educational standpoint and just the importance of, of literacy for kids by the time they hit third grade. Um, I think it was second, third grade um, to where, you know, if they weren't literate then there was going to be problems and potentially wind up, you know, with, with winding up in jail or, or, or having other kind of problems in life. So we just wanted to try to come up with something to, to be able to help kids understand and just, you know, if you're dealing with a bully or just dealing with different kind of life situations um, to understand that, like, Hey, you're not going through something like that alone and just having have something that's also good and entertaining to be able to read. That's great. Well, I've seen from having a, a two-year-old daughter how much they learn from all the books right now at this time when they really are being molded to find out who they are as a person and how they see the world. So it's really cool that you and your wife have been able to pass those messages on to a younger generation. Um, one little fun thing here, you've also had a lot of cameos on some of my favorite television shows of all time. You've popped up on an episode of Entourage, on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, on the final season of The Office, because obviously they had a character named Ryan Howard on the show. Uh, do you have any fun stories from those experiences on those sets with those guys, maybe some behind-the-scenes things that we'd be surprised to learn? Yeah, I mean, it was so much fun doing all of the shows. Uh you know, from Entourage to where, you know, the, I think it was the, the episode where Turtle calls me and trying to get me to invest in, uh, in uh, the tequila company. And I'm like, oh, nah, man. I'm like, Not quite. Yeah, I'm like, man, maybe I should have invested in it. But then I think going to the office, those guys were so great. I mean, they, they helped me a lot. They made it so easy for me, um, as well as the guys on um, It's Always Sunny, which was hilarious. Uh, the, fun, the fun thing about that was, that was pretty much, that whole thing was just pretty much freestyle. Um, you know, they told Chase and I, and I, we had lines and they said, Hey, just kind of say it or mold it to however you guys would normally say stuff. And then, you know, the other guys were just doing their thing. So, I mean, anything that came out of their mouth was just, we're, we're over in the corner trying to be off, off camera, trying not to laugh too hard or anything, but you know, just seeing the work and seeing those guys in their, um, in their niche, uh, was amazing because I've always enjoyed kind of watching people in their element doing what they do uh, because I know that people have watched me on the ball field in my element doing my thing. So I've always been intrigued by watching people when they can do stuff in their element and then getting to learn a lot of the behind the scenes type stuff. You know, we may have had a script for this, but this actually came out better than what we thought it would. So to see those guys do that and be a part of that was something really cool. Tell everybody where to get the kids' books because that's just uh, going to be amazing. Tell, you know, we'll, 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 we'll promo that, but we'll put that out there as well. That'd be good, though. No, absolutely. I appreciate that. Yeah, you can go to Scholastic or you can get the, get the books on uh, Amazon. Amazon.com. Perfect. Well, we'll promote that as well, but nice. We'll, we'll do this again. It was interesting. I want to get more into that Mamba mentality. We're going to get some other athletes involved as well. We, or we have to share this Mamba mentality, but I appreciate that's your right. time and it's exciting to hear it from another player and see kind of their progression as far as their, their youth to the athlete to the life after. So I appreciate it. And it would definitely be in touch. Oh, no problem. Perfect. Thank you guys for having me, man. I had a blast.
Well, it was great chatting with Ryan Howard. I am even more excited for the start of baseball now after talking to the World Series champ and former MVP. He seems just like a great guy. And Ralph, I know you've gotten a chance to to know him over these last couple of years uh, through your work with 76 Capital. Yeah, I did. I have. He's, um, I think he's better even off the baseball field as a father or husband. You know, he gives back to his community. He's got the books that he's writing for kids. Uh, he's doing great things. And um, it's just amazing to see the evolution of his career now, not knowing all the things that we know today. Imagine coming into baseball. I mean, I was at a baseball spring training with the Padres a couple years ago. And understanding there's 250 minor league players on every baseball team, you know, from the AAA ball to AA single A, and you got to work your way through their process. He came in, did it, and then got very lucky, but also he was prepared to take on the challenge that he got it. And then he blew it out the water, right? He just, I mean, you, all the stuff he did, and he won a World Series. It's an amazing career, amazing career. And I think he's even better, as I alluded to, better now than he was when he played. Yeah, and, and it was great hearing from him about the mental side, everything that goes into preparing to seize those opportunities when they come his way, which is exactly what he did, uh, starting strong as Rookie of the Year and following up a Rookie of the Year season with an MVP season, something that has only happened four times in the history of Major League Baseball. Uh, Ralph, what's your favorite baseball team? Do you have one? Well, growing up, you you always looked at you know the Yankees and those people, but you you'll like this because the, the first baseball team that I watched were the Cincinnati Reds, mm. and uh, you know I, I love them. Um, then I got really uh, hold of Tommy Larusa, the manager, uh, because I loved the way he managed and he carried the team, and I got to meet him. We became some friends, at least in events that we went to. Then when I played in Oakland, I was there with the Oakland A's and all those guys that played there. I would go to games, actually, and enjoy going to baseball games and do the seven-inch stretch. a couple of here and there, but start off with the Cincinnati Reds. Then the Oakland Athletics became my favorite with Reggie Jackson and the crew, and that became really my favorite uh, of all time. So I would say the Oakland Athletics. Okay, Oakland A's fan. I like it. Yeah, they. I mean, Reggie Jackson. Those were some Absolutely. legendary teams and games, and uh, they've had some some good years since then as well. Uh, getting back to the big show, we'll see. They could be a sleeper team this year. Who knows? It's wide open when there's only a sixty game season. It's really, as Ryan said, a sprint this year. To I mean, finish. yeah, I thought you were say a sprint. I mean, how do you sprint sixty games? Well, for baseball, it is. I mean, baseball is. It, I get it. It's one hundred eighty-two, but sixty games. They shaved a hundred off. Yeah, they did. They did. It's crazy, but we'll see what happens. It's crazy, but it is. It is funny to think a sixty-game sprint when you know an entire a full NBA season is eighty-two. But yeah, it's a totally crazy. different animal, and uh, it just speaks to the mental strength and fortitude of someone like Ryan Howard to bring it day in and day out, 162 games a year for 13 seasons. Uh, his but, accomplishments on the field, incredible, and getting to know him as a person uh, were were terrific as well. Well, well I'm sprint, excited. Sprint, no, I'm sorry. A sprint could be, you know, because they play them three, four, five days a week, right? They play double headers. So yeah, in one I, week you play six games, seven games. So I guess it is a sprint because they – all they want, they don't have to travel. They want city. They just go to the park and do their thing. So interesting to see how that plays out.
Yeah, it will be for sure. It's it's going to be exciting. We got baseball coming back this week and the NBA is coming back next week. We're going to be talking all about that on our next episode of Center Court. So be sure to join us then when we have a very special guest, Chris Broussard from Fox Sports, previewing the NBA season. That's going to be a fun show. I mean, I'm excited about that. Look forward to it. That's right. Well, Ralph, in the meantime, Stay healthy out there. Tell everyone where they can follow us uh, to hey. learn more about our podcast. Yeah, follow us on all our social media channels, CenterCourt50, hashtag Instagram, social media, all the, your social media channels. I'm at Ralph Sampson50, and my partner there is Jay Fish. Close, uh, Jay-Z Fish, well. but uh, you got Fish. it. Jay-Z Don't forget Fish. the Jay-Z. Ho, well, all you right. Like, you like, but you like Jay-Z the rapper. I'm Jay-Z yeah, I, well, I get that comparison all the time. Thank you very much. Yes, maybe Jason Zone Fisher, Jay Z Fish, Ralph Sampson. That's like me calling you Ralph Sampson forty nine. Come on, That's close it. but not Ralph, quite there. Well, forty nine and a half. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. round it up to fifty. Ralph Sampson fifty. Thank you all for listening to Center Court. It means a lot. We're just getting started here on our podcast journey, and thank you for coming along on that ride with us. Be sure to subscribe. Tell your friends about our podcast. Leave a review. It means a lot. A big special thanks to all of our listeners and to everyone behind the scenes who make this podcast possible. From L.A., KT, Pam, Kathy, Ralph, and myself, thank you for joining us. Enjoy some baseball and tune in next week when we preview the start of the NBA. Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today we discuss technical diagramming with systems architect Maya. Let's go. First question. You've spent 10 hours slogging over a sequence diagram that should have taken five. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board. And if I'm being honest, Miro would probably cut that time down by half. You know, with its AI tools and ready-to-go templates. Next, your diagrams become so bulky, it's more complex than the solar system. But all it takes is a few clicks and... It's Miro. I've used those technical shape packs way too many times. And stuff is just digestible on its infinite online canvas. Now, the final question. Everyone's brought in. But you have to make all these tasks all the way over in Jira. But wait, it's done. Is it... Miro. Easy with its two-way Jira sync. Easy to plot dependencies. Everyone always knows what's up. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people creating technical diagrams without workflow glitches. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.